it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello, welcome to this week's New Horizons episode. Thanks for joining us. One of the key areas of interest across the blind and vision impaired community for some years now has been audio description. You might remember that Australia is the only English-speaking OECD country that doesn't have mandated audio description targets on its free-to-air television services. There's been a lot of work done over the years on this. Lauren Henley, for some years now, has been a leader in the crusade to get audio description happening in Australia. She joins us now. Lauren, there was a time when you were on the program just about every week, but it's actually been quite some time since you've been on New Horizons, so welcome back. Thanks so much, Vaughn. Great to connect with you again. What's been happening with you since uh, you left BCA? Yeah, so I've moved over to a state-specific role in the ageing sector. I've been working for an organisation called Council on the Ageing Victoria. And part of my role there involves coordinating a national campaign called Assistive Technology for All, which really would be a relevance to a lot of listeners of this program, uh, because it's all about getting uh, better access to assistive technology for people with disability who fall outside the eligibility criteria for the NDIS. So a lot of those people are excluded from the NDIS because of their age, because they happen to be over 65 when the scheme rolled out. But there's also a lot of younger people with disability who aren't eligible for the NDIS for whatever reason. And of course, those people still have a need for assistive technology. And that sounds really interesting to me because the NDIS is supposed to be a catch-all for all people under the age of 65, but it's very clear uh, from the work that I've done and the work that you've done and the work that many other people have done and reported back to us that there is a significant number of people who don't qualify for the NDIS, um, and in, in particular people who don't have a formal diagnosis of their disability. How widespread is this problem and, and what exactly does the campaign seek to address? It's incredibly widespread. So we just completed some economic modelling work in partnership with Monash University to look at the number of people who fall outside the NDIS, the number of people with disability, their need for assistive technology or unmet need, where the gaps are and also how those gaps could be addressed and potentially how much it would cost government. When we went into that project, we made the assumption that the majority of people with disability who fell outside the NDIS would be over the age of 65. But what we've found is it's it's almost almost an even 50-50 split between younger people with disability or those under the age of 65 and those over 65. So very widespread for both cohorts. What we're trying to do with our campaign is bring together all of the organisations who have a vested interest in this issue. So the campaign is now supported by more than 60 organisations across the health, ageing and disability sectors. And what we're asking government to do is establish a national assistive technology program to support those people with disability who currently fall outside the NDIS. And the campaign is getting some traction. You had your launch a bit over a year ago and there was an update session several months ago. How's the campaign going and what's the what's in the future for it? It's going really well, Vaughan. So I think the most significant progress we've made in the last six months involves the aged care system. So we know that there was a Royal Commission into Aged Care Quality and Safety that happened over the past few years. The final report from that Royal Commission was handed down last March, and it's got some really concrete recommendations that relate to the issue of older people with disability who fall outside the 
NDIS. So unfortunately not addressing the needs of that younger cohort, but definitely the over 65. So the assistive technology for all Alliance that really helps coordinate the campaign. We've been involved in ongoing um, collaboration with the Department of Health at a Commonwealth level as they're really framing what Australia's new aged care system is going to look like. And we've already got them to commit to a separate assistive technology and home modifications program because at the moment what happens is if someone has a need for assistive technology or home modifications there's no dedicated funding for that whatsoever it needs to come out of a broader package of supports which means that there's very little money left over to go to other forms of support like home maintenance um, support workers things like that so we've got that commitment that there will be dedicated funding and they have also said to us that there will be um, the potential for very high cost assistive technology products to be what we hope will be fully funded. But of course, since we've had these conversations with the department, we've had a change in government at the Commonwealth level. So it really remains to be seen um, how these reforms will actually be implemented. I was looking through the historical archives of New Horizons uh, since I've been doing the program and uh, you were a regular guest on the program and I reckon that probably about 75% of the discussions that you and I had together were on audio description on Australian <laughs> television. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and you, you were for a lot of years uh, a leader across the community in audio description advocacy and campaigning on behalf of uh, Australians who are blind or vision impaired on audio description on television as well as in the movies and other areas. Since you left Blind Citizens Australia, you haven't stopped that campaigning. Tell us about what you've been doing and um, what's been happening in recent months. Sure. So I think this journey may have actually begun while I was still working at BCA or while I was in between stints at BCA. But basically, we had had a lot of complaints that had gone through the Australian Human Rights Commission when I was still working for Blind Citizens Australia. They never got anywhere because the Australian government really never acknowledged that this was an issue of discrimination. It was a human rights breach. And so the complaints were never resolved through conciliation. I was really keen to look at uh, progressing things further. So I lodged another complaint with the Australian Human Rights Commission back in 2015, really knowing that it wouldn't conciliate, but we did frame the complaint slightly differently. All of the other complaints and be lodged under the Disability Discrimination Act, but we lodged my complaints under the Australian Human Rights Commission Act and section 11f of that act it's it talks very clearly about what governments are meant to do to implement international human rights standards such as those set out under the convention on the rights of persons with disabilities that still didn't conciliate at the australian human rights commission level so it meant that it then needed to go to um the next step which was a very brief court hearing which also didn't resolve and then what happened is I looked at lodging a complaint with the International Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, which is the treaty body that's responsible for monitoring the implementation of the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities across the world. So not many Australians with disabilities have taken complaints to that level. And there's a very clear reason for that is because it's very, very difficult. It's exhausting. It's time consuming. It's, it's usually quite expensive as well, because obviously to take an issue to court, you've got to wear the legal costs for that. But I was lucky. I had backing from the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, who have really supported a lot of um, systemic advocacy efforts in the blind and vision impaired community, which is great. So 
they were happy to take that issue on. I also had support from Blind Citizens Australia to lodge that complaint. Uh, BCA provided affidavits just to give detail on what they'd done to advocate on this issue around audio description over the years, um, why it hadn't worked, the sort of response they had from government and the impact it has on the lives of people who are blind or vision impaired. And that complaint has, has I understand, been upheld by the, the UN. What has been the process to make that happen? Uh, a very long, drawn-out process. So first of all, we lodged the complaint with the committee. The committee then wrote back uh, with a few questions they had about the complaint, which required a bit of reframing from the solicitor that was working on my behalf from the Public Interest Advocacy Centre. From there, the committee forwarded the complaint to the, complaint to the Australian government. Uh, the Australian government then has a right of reply to say, you know, we don't think that this is a breach of human rights for these reasons. And I can tell you the Australian government fought this every step of the way. They did not want to acknowledge that this was a human rights issue. And the sorts of arguments they came up with were just pity to say the least. So really it was just a lot of backwards and forwards in written correspondence. It was... I felt quite detached from the process, to be honest, because there was never a conversation with anyone apart from the solicitor I'd been working with or the staff at BCA who were supporting me. We knew that it would take a long time to get a result. It usually does with international committees, but then we had a global pandemic in the middle of that as well, which also disrupted things. So it's taken until 2022 to get a decision. And what will the outcome of that decision be, do you think? Yeah, good question. And I've had a lot of people approach me about this over the past couple of days since the decision was handed down to say, so does this mean the government has to do something? And unfortunately not. So when a government ratifies an international treaty, what they're meant to do next is enshrine the, the rights that are established in that treaty in domestic law. So they become legally binding in that country. Australia's never done that. So while it has made a commitment to uphold the principles outlined in the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. None of that is in Australian law, none of it's legally binding. And even though it's a really, really bad look for the Australian government on the international scene, because they've, they've obviously breached human rights, uh, this will be communicated to other countries. They don't like to be shamed at that level. It's still not a legally binding decision. So the recommendations that came down from the committee to the Australian government are optional, which is really, really unfortunate. Having said that, I am feeling relatively positive about this decision because we do now have a new government who is a lot more pro-human rights than the previous one was. I think uh, there will be some will to change things with this government. And the next step is that we're organising an advocacy strategy meeting with the Public Interest Advocacy Centre, myself, and of course our advocates at Blind Citizens Australia to work out what the next steps will be to try and turn this decision into some sort of tangible change. Notwithstanding the fact that uh, the government announced a couple of years ago support on the ABC and SBS for audio description uh, for somewhere around 14 hours a week, which is really a fairly minimal amount given the number of channels that, uh, that both of those uh, entities have, do you think that was in some way to, to nullify or to appease your complaint or do you think that's a completely separate decision? 
It's really hard to say, but I would I would hazard a guess that there may have been some crossover because certainly the time when they made that announcement, it was when they were looking at the complaints and how they might respond to it. And they did submit further correspondence to the Committee on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities after they'd made that announcement to say, hey, look, aren't we wonderful? We've done this. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, my case was still upheld because while they've done something tangible, it's still not enough. How does that make you feel? Are you you happy that uh, that you've gone through this process? Would you do it again? I would do it again. It's it's a long, hard road, but I think having support is really a fantastic thing. I never could have done it by myself without the support of the Public Interest Advocacy Centre because even the way that you have to frame a complaint of that nature, it's very technical and legalistic and sort of beyond the realms of my capability. So... If I had that support again, sure, happy to do it again. And I think it's really important that we have these examples to provide to the government to say, we aren't saying that this is a human rights issue. This isn't just us making a fuss over nothing. This is an international human rights issue and you need to be doing better. So now what happens is the Australian government has six months to provide a response to what the committee has recommended. So I'll be really keen to see what's in that response, but we'll be trying to work collaboratively with the government to achieve some change in this space. And I guess the final thing I'd say, Vaughan, is one of the things that really has made me angry around this whole issue is just the level of inequity, because even when you compare Australians who are blind or vision impaired to other marginalised communities, we are behind the eight ball. So we know that captioning for people who are deaf or hearing impaired has been mandated through the Broadcasting Services Act for decades now, but there's still nothing for audio description in the Broadcasting Services Act. And that act has been amended several times since the captioning provisions were put in place. And of course, now uh, many television services provide Auslan as well, particularly for emergency information and news broadcasts and things like that. And of course, that's really important. So it, it's time that uh, that the playing field was uh, was equalised. Absolutely. And we applaud that. We never want to see that access taken away from the deaf community. But we're just saying that the needs of our community are equally important and need to be addressed. Absolutely. Lauren, once again, thanks for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you as things progress. Not a problem. Thanks so much, Vaughan. If you'd like to get in touch with Blind Citizens Australia, you can call 1800 033 660. That's 1800 033 660. You can, of course, email bca at bca.org.au. bca at bca.org.au. I'm Vaughan Benison. I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realization of a dream. Of our dream.